What is going on, you guys? Welcome to Beyond the Buckle. Today, I sat down with my mate Tanner uh, to review the double or nothing pay per view that has just been held in the US by All Elite Wrestling. Now, this was a really interesting pay per view, and there were a lot of different things that did happen and take place that we do in-depth discuss in this podcast. So really looking forward to get you guys listening to this one. So enjoy the chat and we'll see you after. Alrighty guys, let's get straight into this. So today I've got my buddy Tanner joining us here to discuss the double or nothing pay-per-view that happened yesterday. So first thing I really want to talk about is the kind of the pay-per-view feel at the moment due to the COVID-19 restrictions being in place. Uh, obviously, they're not allowed to have any crowds. Uh, obviously, you're allowed to have the wrestlers in there themselves. And WWE have kind of gone to the performance center for their pay-per-views and there's no crowd, whereas All Elite Wrestling have actually incorporated the wrestlers around the ring. And personally, I think that Daily's place where they are currently holding dynamite and their pay-per-views is a really good feel and a much better feel than the performance center in itself so i kind of want to get your opinion on that man like how do you feel that daily's place ranks up as a as a place to hold a pay-per-view and a show as a wrestling fan watching it on the tv Definitely. So Daily's place, look, it just, it kind of just reminds me of, um, because I'm pretty sure they started Fighter Fest there. I think that might've been their first event or it might've been Fight of the Fallen. I'm pretty sure. I think um, it was Fight but, for the Fallen from what uh, I remember, because Fighter fight yep. Fest was at the, uh, the game uh, convention that they did. So that was inside a different arena. So I'm pretty sure it was Fight for the Fallen, man. You can definitely edit that one out then. <laughs> no, no, doing this on the fly, man. Uh, no stress. Um, yeah, no, um, I just love how it's kind of like, it's a bit more enclosed than uh, the performance center because yes, it's a, it's a closed circuit at um, WWE, but what AEW are doing so differently is it's just, they have the, um, the wrestlers there. They have a, a couple of staff here and there as well. I love the mix up, how it's just so much more unique than anything you can ever see. I mean, because WWE obviously don't want to risk um, going any further with that, with um, with COVID going on. But um, as far as I know, AEW are doing round-the-clock uh, COVID um, testing, like, all the time. So it makes sense for them just to have still that social distancing. I can still remember that first week they did it and they got really good reviews. And then the next week they were back in, like, the green room. So they might have maybe gone over the protocol there. But I'm... Great. I'm very happy to see it back. I'm glad they did it for Double or Nothing as well. And I think it adds a great atmosphere to it. So, yeah. Man, as you say, I personally love the feeling of Daly's Place as a venue. Uh, and especially with the, what they've done with such little crowd is awesome too. And I just, I have to mention the man, Austin Gunn. He, to me, he makes the entire crowd segment worth it he just he goes all out between him and Sean Spears and what they're doing at ringside it just makes it such a nice feel and yeah they might be taking the piss a lot but it just it makes it feel so much better than seeing WWE and having absolutely no one there no atmosphere whatsoever and to have these guys it's such as you say it's such a refreshing feel on things and Definitely. 
honestly, yeah, I love Daly's place. Um, I think I'd be happy if they continued to have dynamite there all the time, but obviously that's not going to happen and they're going to travel around in the future back when all these restrictions are lifted. Uh, so I can't wait to see what the future holds for AEW. And on this particular card, there were a couple of changes that were made uh, quite, quite late in the pay-per-view. Uh, so obviously you had Britt Baker was set to take on Chris Statlander, but due to a knee injury, Britt had to be pulled out of that uh, 24 hours prior. So she was replaced by Penelope Ford. And you also had Ray Phoenix, who was unfortunately injured. Uh, and he was replaced by Joey Janela. And both of these changes obviously took place 24 hours prior to the event happening. So what, what are your thoughts on the replacements? Do you think that the replacements that they found were fitting for the matches that they had? 100%. Um, just before I go into it, you forgot uh, Dr. Britt Baker. She's a oh, role model, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> no stress. Um, well, I'll firstly start with um, Penelope Ford replacing Britt Baker. I actually watched the match last night. Um, I didn't get to watch it live, um, unfortunately. Um, but I think Penelope um, has definitely improved with her in-ring ability. I noticed um, she was really getting into the match like a lot more better than what she would normally. Um, and I felt Statlander and her had a really terrific match and they did really good chemistry. Um and there were some great counters by Penelope as well. Like, I wasn't necessarily convinced that Statlander was going to win. Um, Ford got in some great offense, and I wasn't near convinced that um, that Statlander would actually just win, like, in a squash. So I was, I was really pleased to see that, you know. It, 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 if you make someone look good, like, when they do lose, and you know you're doing something right. So definitely, definitely props on that. Um, as for Joey Janela, I mean, yes, there could have been um, some other replacements they could have done. But, I mean, when you come, like, with a cannonball and you take out three people in your first five seconds in the match, I think you're doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I loved his explicitive rant, which I actually had to watch back once again when um, we get to debutants Brian Cage. <laughs> and I confirmed that he definitely did uh, give those verbals. So... <laughs> Yeah, and no, I seeing Joey in there was great because that kind of took me back to when he was in the um, in the mix when he burst uh, Moxley in um, the uh, the hard hardcore match, or it might have been lights out match. I can't remember which. Yeah, one lights was. out unsanctioned match. That's the one. Yep, and I thought he actually had a great showing. And like I said, AEW just makes stars look so good, even when they don't get the win. If they can still get enough offense, they can still win a crowd. They can still win over a, a fan like myself. I haven't personally seen enough of Joey to give my give a real opinion, but at the same time, I think he he is very good and he will be something for the future, definitely. Yeah. Well, as you say, with with uh, Penelope Ford being brought in as the replacement for Doctor Britt Baker, DMD, uh, yeah. she usually what you would expect with a last minute replacement is, as you said, a squash a squash match, and you you wouldn't expect it to to go as long or for the replacement opponent to have as much offense as Penelope Ford did due to the fact that there wasn't really a built up storyline or anything like that. So usually right. you see in WWE where they just, it's, it's a squash match. But the thing about the difference between WWE and AEW is that they, they realize that and they realize what the fans want to see. And they, they put Penelope in the mix. They made her look like a real contender 
and Definitely. the same same thing is said with Janella. Like he got in some good offense. He he climbed the ladder multiple times. You you don't generally see that with a last minute replacement. And I've been a fan of Janella for uh, for a little while now. I've been lucky enough to see him live, and I think he is such a great wrestler, and he has such good talent that hasn't necessarily been shown yet. And I think that the more he gets out there and the more situations like this that he's put into, the more he can thrive and the, the better we will see his character progress over time. So I really liked both of the replacements. I really couldn't have faulted either of them being the replacement. I think they would have been just as good as the regular match. So I'm pretty happy with that. And then we move straight into the pre-show, which was private party versus best friends. Now, I was I was pretty excited for this match. I like I really like private party, uh, and I do like best friends as well. The only thing that that was a little bit of a gripe for me was the fact that there wasn't much build up around this match, and it was pretty much just thrown together at the last minute, which which is. I have to say it's not really much fault of AEW's because it sucks that the tag team division hasn't been put in so much of a spotlight over the last couple of months due to the COVID-19 pandemic because the majority of the tag team wrestlers are actually stuck in other countries and stuck in quarantine. Like you look at Hangman Adam Page, tag team champion at the moment, but he, he's been stuck in quarantine for what the last almost month and you look at uh, the dark order, we haven't seen the dark order in at least two to almost three months. And these guys were ranked number one in the tag team division. And due to this whole pandemic, they've been thrust so far down the ladder. And whilst it's given other tag teams an opportunity to shine, I can't help but feel so bad for these guys who have built up such a, I don't know, they've climbed the ladder so well and they've put on epic matches. But this match was so good in itself due to the amount of talent that was in the ring. And I want to get your views on the match. What did you what did you think of the match, man? Um, okay, well, basically, um, you touched on Dark Order, um, how they have been in quarantine. I would have thought they actually would have slipped down the ranking, um, but they're still actually ranked um, third on uh, the tag team ranking, so I just checked that just then. Um, so they haven't necessarily lost their, their place, but, I mean, obviously the Young Bucks are at the top, the NSCU are second, but even still. Um, getting back to the match, Best Friends and Private Party, I don't know if this was their first match they've ever had uh, against each other, but... I don't know what it is about AEW, but they just have such chemistry with anybody they put together. That's the thing. Uh, excuse me, I had a bit of a tickle in my throat. Um, I, I love the tribute by Private Party to uh, Crime Time and how they did um, in tribute to Shad Gaspard, um, tragically passing away last week. They did um, their tag team finish. And yes, it didn't get the win, but just seeing something like that is just so amazing. And you got to put the props up to it. Um, but as for the match, like I said, there was, there was brilliant action. Like, um, Cassidy Quinn, he, he does the best shooting star I've seen in a very long time next to Evan Bourne. So you can't, you can't fault it. The best friends winning, I think that that was the right call because they are more established at, at this minute. Private party, I think maybe they have been in isolation. They've only been on AEW Dark 
pretty frequently. And I think I only saw a tune-up match this week with them. Um, but I think it was great action. Very good tag team um, division coming on with AEW, definitely. Well, see, when you say about the, the ranking system at the moment with Dark Order still being third and the Young Bucks being first and SCU being second, this makes me question a little bit uh, the, the kind of ranking system and whether or not they are using it at the moment due to COVID-19 because obviously now you've got the best friends who were what in fourth or fifth position on the rankings and now they're the number one contenders for the for the championship so to me it doesn't seem like they're really focusing on the rankings at the moment just because of how many superstars are out of action so it wouldn't surprise me if they aren't doing that but as you say private party they're such a young talented tag team but they haven't been in action that much recently and I think I can recall JR saying that this was either their first or second match this year alone. So, so having them win probably would not have been a smart decision. Whereas best friends have had a lot of offense and a lot of matches this year. So I, as you say, I'm happy with best friends winning. Um, I'd like to see, funnily enough, I'd like to see the belts actually on them because I feel like they're, a proper tag team, not to take anything away from Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. But I feel like they are just two people that were put into a tag team for almost no good reason. I say almost because they are obviously part of the elite, but I feel like then they don't have the chemistry that the best friends do. Best friends have always been a tag team, even on the independent scene, whereas these guys were just thrust into the tag team competition. So I'd like to see the belts on best friends and hopefully one day soon we, we do get to see that. But as you say, I did like the crime time finisher as well. Uh, that was, that was a very nice touch and something that I pointed out to you as soon as they came out was that uh, they were wearing armbands that had a uh, little diamond embroidered SG on it. So I thought that was a nice touch and they also, just to mention, they did do that on Dynamite the week prior with Big Swole as well. So I really like that. It shows how much respect that they had for Shad and how the business really, really brought everyone together. So the next match was obviously the Casino Royale ladder match, uh, where it's pretty much a spoof, people say, of the Money in the Bank ladder match, but they were reaching for a massive chip. Uh, at the end, uh, I personally I rated that. I liked I liked the fact that it was a a little chip at the at the top. Uh, and obviously there was there was eight people announced prior for the match, but there was nine competitors that were uh, touted to be in the match. Uh, obviously with a mystery participant at the end, and to our somewhat happiness, I guess. If that's the right word, you could say it was it was uh, Brian Cage who came out and was the final participant. I yes. I personally like Brian Cage. Uh, I've seen him wrestle multiple times. He's a absolute unit of a man. Uh, he's and for his size, he's so athletic as well. And I really like that fact about him that he can still put on athletic matches whilst being the size that he is and something that you pointed out straight away that didn't really click 
to me was the fact that he was paired up with Taz. And as soon as his entrance music hit, you said to me, oh, I know that voice. And it didn't click to me until Taz actually came out and, and he was there with him. But I personally really like that pairing because I think that they can go a long way in establishing a very dominant heel with, with Taz and Brian Cage as a pairing. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Firstly, it reminds me of uh, Back to Victory Road 2009, uh, the TNA pay-per-view they did, because this kind of rings a bell when uh, Samoan Joe was actually um, paired with Taz. Now, I'm not too sure how that necessarily worked out, um, but seeing Taz in that advisor slash manager role, I rate it. Taz is one of my favourite wrestlers, and I followed him for a, a very long time. The, um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the technical ability he had in the ring was remarkable. I loved his work in um, ECW. So I can only see good things coming out of this with Brian Cage because I myself, I didn't actually know too much about Brian. Um, I've only seen him on Impact a couple of times, but you said um, that this is going to be a pretty good move. So we definitely saw it. And it wouldn't make much sense for anyone else to win that if you were going to debut someone new. So you want it, you want them to make an instant impact, or you think, well, why did they debut if they didn't win it? So, but yes, the chip, I definitely rate that. Definitely fits back into the uh, the whole double and nothing casino thing they got going on there. So, yes, definitely, definitely going to be good things coming up with Taz for sure. Oh, Brian Cage, man. very safe hands. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, dude. And and as you say, like anyone that's pretty much been te- paired with Taz in the past has gone on to have major success. And these like Brian cage is already so well established that he could do it without a manager. But I think that if there was anyone who was going to be his manager, like this, this is to me, it's kind of the same feel as putting Jake Roberts with Lance Archer, the, the chemistry that they have as heels mixes perfect together and i feel like that brian cage and taz are just going to work so well as a cohesive unit to deliver promos to to come out and be a dominant force in the ring all that kind of stuff but i'm very excited to see where this brian cage thing leads uh obviously we've got now with brian cage winning the match uh it's set up moxley versus uh, cage at fighter fest uh, which will happen later in the year but let's talk about the match in general i i quite liked it uh the it started off with scorpio sky and frankie kazarian as the first two entrants which i found to be quite interesting because obviously they they are a tag team in themselves along with christopher daniels in scu and i found it really interesting that they put those two in there straight away i felt like it could have been a little bit of a swerve where they were just gonna both reach for the ladder and both straight away because something that i failed to mention here is that with this ladder match it was quite different from a normal ladder match in the fact that they had a rule where a new superstar would come out every two minutes so it's kind of like a battle royal in a way and so they started off with two participants in the ring then they moved into three, four, five until they got to the last one with two minute increments. And with those two being in the ring for two minutes at the start, I would have expected them to just run and go for the case, the case, the chip, 
my bad, uh, straight away and, and go and get it and swerve everyone, become a monster heel tag team and, and really throw a swerve into the mix. But they didn't, to their credit, they fought and they waited until everyone else came in. But the match in itself was very, very good because everybody got offense. It wasn't like there was, it was all about the one person being the top star of the match. Uh, everyone got their spot. Uh, one spot that I really want to talk about is your favorite wrestler at the moment spot uh, being Darby Allen from the yes. top of the ladder uh, with a skateboard. He just decided to go balls to the wall and jump straight on top of, I believe it was, was it Frankie laying down? Yeah. So he tried to jump to Frankie, but uh, Frankie yeah. obviously got out of the way. So yeah. Yeah. And he just landed straight on top of the ladder, snapped it in half. And the thing that I really wanted to point out was the fact that the skateboard actually stayed together during that whole bit. I really expected yeah. the skateboard to snap in half, but it actually stayed together. But the ladder obviously came out a lot worse for wear. So what were your thoughts on the match, man? And how did you think that it, it stacked up with all the participants? Firstly, love the concept of every two minutes a new competitor comes in. That is realistically the only way you are going to make something work with a nine-man ladder match. I mean, you think back to every other Money in the Bank match WWE have had or a tag team match, there's just been this certain aspect, climb the ladder, retrain, re retain, sorry, um, or become champion or yada, yada, yada. Um, personally, the match was great. Um, I loved SEU at the start, like you said. I loved uh, JR's quip saying they're probably not going to wrestle for the first two minutes. So I, I rated that. Um, everyone got in their spot and that's what AEW nailed. Like, they don't like making people look bad. Like, they want people to still shine, even if they don't win. So we have one winner, but eight other people shined in this match that you think they could still be in the rank. They could still get up there one day. And that's a credit to All Elite Wrestling and everything that they are trying to establish. And, I mean, a year ago, people were still saying, you know, it's not going to last when they go live, but... I mean, the programming they're delivering and the pay-per-views, it's just, it's such must-watch. I was actually listening to Moxley's um, post uh, media scrum yesterday and he said, everyone in AEW backstage, every pay-per-view, it's got a WrestleMania feel to it. Something, you know, you don't want to miss. And I think that's remarkable. Like, yes, we're only in, um, halfway through the year and they've only been on... Um, around the wrestling industry for only a year, but that's that's incredible. Like, who has that build like in themselves and the staff and backstage producers? I just think that's remarkable. Getting back to the match, um, yes, Darby, my goodness, I love that spot. I actually looked on his Instagram just then, and uh, Vicky Guerrero um, gave him a respect uh, comment with uh, the fist bump emoji. So we know that she's not going to excuse him from making any uh, jumps. <laughs> Um, Brian Cage winning, I think that's probably the right decision, considering that, you know, he's a big star debuting. It's not really going to make much sense if he wasn't. Obviously, I did want Derby to win. Um, oh, we've got to touch on Orange Cassidy, though, Jack. I, um, <laughs> I, watched, <laughs> I watched it back again last night. And um, when he was ex asking Excalibur, how do I win? And Excalibur said to him, Tony has explained this to you 200 times. How do you... 
how does it not sink in? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, no, they just nailed everything, man. And that's just what I love about AEW at the moment. They just, they're so unique. They know what the fans want to see. So it was, a, it was a great match. There was a couple of spots which obviously did go wrong, but that's a ladder match for you. You can't get everything right. You can't perfect it. But for the majority of it, my goodness, they got everything right. So, yeah, I'm all praised for that. And I'm looking forward to seeing Cage versus Moxley. I think that is going to be a very good And just touching on Orange Cassidy, as you mentioned, like the character, I feel it wouldn't get over in any other company such as like as a whole as like All Elite Wrestling or WWE. I don't feel like it would get over in WWE purely because of the way that he has taken creative control over his character. And as you say, the little spots where he comes out and like he said to Excalibur, that how do I win this match? And he comes out with his hands in his pockets and he's, he's standing on top of the ladder when it's laid down flat, nonetheless, trying <laughs> to, to grab the, the case in itself or the chip, if you will. Um, it just makes the character so well and makes it work so well. And I think that he's got a very, very, very bright future. And I can't wait to see what they do with Orange Cassidy in the future. So let's move on to the next match, which was probably arguably your favorite match of the night being MJF versus Jungle Boy. Now, definitely the, the build-up to this match was extremely good. Uh, it's been weeks in the making. There was MJF attacking uh, Jungle Boy in the, the last match prior to, to the pay-per-view. There was uh, Wardlow manhandling Marco Stunt. They built it up so well, and I th- do not think that they failed in the least with this match. It was amazing. The technical wrestling was something that we have not seen in a long time from two competitors in the one ring and going from lock to lock and the amount of kip ups and just the chemistry that they have in the ring was second to none. And I know you can rave on about this match so much more than I probably can. So I'll hand the reins over to you on this one. But in my opinion, this was an epic epic match but tell me your thoughts man where do you start first firstly um okay it's a baby face versus a heel we all know um what the story is going to be like but we don't know how they're going to portray it we didn't think that they had just this technical ability let alone the athleticism to really transform this into a really must-see wrestling match at first when i saw it um, that it was going to be on the card. I thought oh, they're probably only going to probably get seven, eight minutes and MJF will probably win with the salt of the earth. And I thought probably not going to be very good. But like I said, I was watching a couple of the roads to double or nothings and you had MJF in his massive chair, like just saying that Jungle Boy has been given everything and MJF has had to work for it, which may be true. We, we don't know how Maxwell Jacob Friedman really thinks. <laughs> Um, but getting, getting, getting to the match, it, it was brilliant. It was, it was a great layout. Um, 
just the little things like the keep ups for like 30 seconds or, you know, daring him to slap him in the face, like Jungle Boy, etc. My favourite moment of that shadow of the doubt in that match was that reverse uh, Rana by Jungle Boy on the apron. That was incredible. I was amazed that the, that spot was very well protected because obviously that could have ended very badly. But when you see uh, MJF uh, standing up, looks like he's very dazed and then he falls down, you know that the spot is safe and that it was done fine. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think the match was about over 20 minutes. Jungle Boy got in a lot of great offense. They worked so brilliantly with the, um, with the arm injury as well, or the elbow. I can't remember which one it was. I'm not too sure if that was meant to happen, but that played off with the story 10 times better than I would have imagined. It reminded me of Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks back at TakeOver a couple of years ago. That was the match for me that Becky Lynch was made because they focused that so much. And then they had her with the disarmor and everything else. And then you look at what she is now. That could be similar to Jungle Boy. They have worked something really smart here. They thought, let's incorporate this into the match and let's see where this goes. Bottom line, Jungle Boy is definitely over. I mean, if you're going to have Y2J versus him in a 10-minute limit match back at Dynamite last year, then you know that you're in safe hands. So getting back to the match, brilliant. I have zero complaints. It was great. Really good spectacle to watch. And I'm glad NJF got the win because he, obviously he does need it going forward and it sounds like they're going to get him chasing for the AEW title. But this does not hurt Jungle Boy in any way, shape or form because he is very, very good to watch. So, yeah. As you, as you say, man, like in the match, there were so many good little things that may not have seemed like, like big things at the time, but they made the match as a whole. And the one thing that... I really liked early on in the match is when MJF played the victim and acted like he was injured <laughs> and they got the doctors what over and, yes. and all this sort of stuff. And I, I know me, myself and you actually literally both thought it was a legitimate injury. So he had us fooled and usually I can pick that out when it, when it's, it's not like an actual injury or if it's part of the storyline and I'm sitting there and I'm Can't like, is he actually injured? Yeah, like I yeah. I thought that he was legitimately injured and then he just pops back up in typical MJF fashion and starts beating the living shit out of Jungle Boy again. And I thought that was a, a really... Heel. Yeah, exactly. Like that is a major heel move and the way that he played it off and something else that I do have to say about the match is that they were there was a point in the match where they were going back and forth off the ropes and I think MJF grabbed his crotch and shoved it up and down a couple of times and then they went into a little bit of a biff again and then Jungle Boy went back and did the exact same thing and just just grabbed his crotch and did it back to MJF and I thought as a storyline that the the rivalry and the the heat between the two just worked so well with the chemistry and as you say the match was of epic proportion and i think that everyone should watch that match if you love wrestling uh because it was such a classic wrestling match and the storyline and the wrestling both worked so well together so that was an awesome match and in the end with mjf getting the win too it was a good heel win because he 
he did it in a way where it was just a quick roll up and it was out of the blue. You didn't necessarily see it coming. It wasn't with his finisher or anything like that. So having him win in, in a heel way was perfect to get him over. So the next match that we moved into was Cody versus Lance for the TNT championship. And it obviously, it started out with Mike Tyson coming out with the belt uh, too much disgust of many fans with the way that the, the belt looked, but it was soon corrected by JR that uh, the belt obviously wasn't finished due to the COVID-19 restrictions. So it will over time have the gold plates. I think they said uh, it'll be gold yeah. and all sorted over time, but, Obviously, you need, you need, if you build it up that Mike Tyson's going to come in and present a championship, you can't have him come in and not present anything. So I'm happier that they, they may have presented an unfinished belt, but at least there was something to present. And then Lance comes out and he does his typical, brings someone out from the back, throws them in the ring and absolutely decimates them. And Iron Mike's just standing there looking at him and just laughing because of how much he loves it. And, and then we move into the match and the match in itself was good, but it was a little bit different. I guess you could say coming, coming off the back of such a classic match between MJF and jungle boy. I never thought that I'd be saying that it would be hard to follow MJF versus jungle boy with Cody versus Lance as such a match, but Lance obviously got a lot, a lot of offense in, in the early stages of the match, which established him as a dominant heel. And myself and you both thought that that was pretty much it. That was, that was their way of showing us that Lance was going to win and he was going to come in, throw Cody all over the ring, absolutely decimate him. Cody would get minimal offense and Lance would win and everything would be happy campers but it was quite the opposite Cody ended up winning the match uh there was there was quite a few good spots um I liked the one where they kicked uh both Arn Anderson and Jake the Snake Roberts out uh and the way that Jake the Snake uh reacted was obviously incredible because he was the one who told the refs to get rid of Arn and then they completely screwed him up and threw him out as well, which was great. Great move. With, with that move, I feel like it was just so good to get them both out of there so that they, they didn't interrupt in the match any more than they had to, because really at the end of the day, you want to focus on the two people that are in the ring, not on the people that are outside of the ring. And you really want to focus on that in ring action. And I think, after they were ejected is when the real action started to happen. And we started to see the two characters collide in themselves and which ultimately ended in two crossroads for the victory for Cody and crown the first ever TNT champion, which I don't have a problem with. I think it was quite well-deserved because obviously he's not allowed to go for the uh, AEW world heavyweight championship due to the, stipulation made a couple of months ago that if he lost the lost the match with was it the match with MJF that he couldn't couldn't go for it or was uh, no, it the match with Jericho? No, no. 
It was the match with Jericho at full gear. So. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I knew it was one of the two because obviously they were embroiled in quite a quite a uh, heated rivalry for a while there. Um, so he obviously lost that stipulation. Can't go for it anymore. So to have him still be able to get a championship like this. And I think it's perfect because he can now work with a lot of the mid-carders, if you could say that, um, rather than having Lance Archer as the champion. As much as he would have deserved it and the build-up was great to it, I feel like he is more of a contender in the future for for the World Heavyweight Championship rather than the TNT Championship. So... What what are your views on that, man? Do you do you kind of express the same feeling or? Definitely. I mean, you look at Lance Archer. His name, the name itself, Murderhawk. I mean, you you don't really see that as, as someone who's um who's a mid carder chasing a um chasing a title in that reign. Um, but yes, I agree. Look, I don't think the loss does hurt because, like I said, he came in um all guns blazing. Um, hit his finisher in the first. <clears throat> 30 seconds and I honestly didn't think it was over. I thought, nah, they're not going to give us a squash, surely. And sure enough, they didn't. Um, both got in the offense. Archer's offense was so aggressive though. Like I was, I was fully convinced the entire time that it's going to be too much for Cody. He's just not going to be able to get it. But credit to, to Cody. Um, the story worked well. He dug in deep. It's the perfect underdog story as you would expect. The title does help Cody. He can definitely work with the mid-carders if you want to give him that label. But, I mean, if Cody can't challenge for the world title, then, yes, this is definitely the right role for him, executive vice president or not. Um, I never knew I needed Arn Anderson as a soundbite for bullshit, so I'm tempted to put that into a text tone, but probably a bit too hard to manage <laughs> but um no look i think it was good get 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 the managers out of the way um because they kind of built an interesting story as well um and everyone can criticize me on this one if they want but the uh, the dynamite segment they did with the two coaches look it was a nice throwback don't get me wrong i just don't think the match necessarily needed that because you already had Cody versus Lance and like everything was all good. Don't mind having the managers in the corner, but it was a bit of a throwback to WF days and things like that, where they just kind of threw things together. And I love Jake and I love Arn, don't get me wrong, very big fans of both, but maybe that probably wasn't the smartest move. Although it was nice to hear um, Arn say he was going to spine busted Jake's ass through the, through the ring. <laughs> but um, getting back to the match, yes, no, look, they did deliver. I do think it was missing something, though. I don't know. Perhaps it, the chemistry wasn't quite there. I think they did well with what they had. But I, I definitely Cody winning is definitely the right call. So maybe we'll see a rematch down the line. Who knows? But I can see bigger things for the Murderhawk. Chuck him into the AEW title. Give us a triple threat. Hell, Moxley versus Cage versus Archer. That would be tops. <laughs> yeah, well, as you say, man, like with the managers, I don't think there needed to be that much focus on the managers rather than the the competitors themselves. Like to me, there was enough build up through the managers with the promos that they'd done in the weeks prior, and they didn't necessarily need a segment in the ring, like a face to face interview kind of thing I, I just think that was a little bit too far on their behalf but you know it is what it is man and <clears throat> what's done is done but the way that 
they built up the match was great with the whole Caesar promos like this. This has been, yeah, like this has been stemming for months. You've got to remember this is when, when Jake the snake came in, which was funnily enough, fun fact, literally one week after I met the man in Melbourne, Australia, we had no inkling. He didn't say a single word during the entire tour that he did. And next week he's popped up in AEW and he's, all of a sudden, he's back in the wrestling world, which I thought was oh. amazing. So, I wasn't aware that, of it, Zach. Yeah, that's a, that's a little fun fact for, for everyone out there. But to see him pop up on national television a week after doing, doing an international tour was, was so cool. And to see him back in the wrestling world is just something that I think is perfect for Jake the Snake, especially given his story and where he came from and all the struggles that he's had over the years. So I really enjoyed the build up to this match. I think, as you say, there was something missing from the match, whether it be the chemistry or not, we won't know until future matches. So hopefully there is a a rematch down the line or something like that, and we can get to see it again. So then we moved into uh, one of the replacement matches, which was uh, Penelope Ford versus Chris Statlander. Now, you had a better view on this match than I did. Um, so I'm going to throw this one over to you as a bit of a review. Um, so give us your thoughts on this match, man. No problem. Um, well, like I said, obviously, it did hurt having um, Dr. Britt Baker um, ruled out from, um, from the match. What struck me is I was actually following um, Twitter and I did see Penelope was, uh, was the replacement, I thought that's an interesting one. Like who else that I was thinking who else they could have put in and the list was a lot bigger than I thought. I thought this is going to be very interesting. Wouldn't necessarily say make or break, but you knew that a replacement had to deliver, but granted um, I looked on Penelope Ford's Twitter 24 hours prior to double or nothing. And she said, yes, you know, I am a replacement, but I've been ready for this night for a long time and credit to her. She did stand up and it did deliver. Um, you missed this, Jack, but seeing Kip come out um, on his crutches after a ladder match and still getting taken out by a lovely Statlander, I thought that was brilliant. And and Statlander uh, managed to knock off his shades with the suicide dive as well, which probably killed Sabian more than anything. But um, the match the match was great. Worked a, a nice, smart story. Um, heel versus babyface, if you want to call it. Statlander is a great talent. The um, the character that she has is so unique, like I said, probably wouldn't get over in WWE. I mean, they probably want to probably put bloody aerials on her head to make her like a real alien. So, um, but yeah, no, um, Penelope um, definitely put in a good showing. Um, could be a rematch down the line, perhaps. But it still keeps her in, um, in the loop with uh, the women's rankings and things like that, because... I can remember the fatal four way they had on dynamite um, a couple of weeks ago and she was involved in that match. And I still think that she did pretty well and, you know, credit, credit to the, to the women, they definitely delivered. So um, Statlander getting the win, definitely the right booking call in my opinion, that doesn't necessarily hurt um, her because obviously she's bouncing back from her revolution match with uh, Nyla Rose. Um, so that's nice to see her get that rebound win. And who knows, maybe we'll see her rise above the rankings because obviously Britt's uh, injury is uh, definitely going to be a bit of a blow. But sounds like it's only going to be six to eight weeks, which is really, really good. 
Um, but yeah, no, I think they worked a very good style. So bring it on. I look forward to what they come up with next with the women's. Yeah. It's funny how you touch on the character of Chris Statlander and what you say about the whole WWE shtick because that's literally so true is the fact that if she had gone to WWE and wanted to continue this alien character, I can only imagine that they would have done exactly what you said or put her in some kind of alien morph suit or had her come out in like a Shotzi Blackheart style little spaceship ufo thing and just completely ruined the character that she's built up on the indie scene and i'm yeah i'm glad that she can shine through with with this one and i have to touch on as well the the promo that aired prior to this match i was there for that uh and it was uh the doctor in regards to dr Britt baker dmd's injury and (laughs) I I thought that it was so straight to the point. It wasn't long. It was only about a minute long. But all he had to say in that that interview was that the patient is more painful than the injury. And I just, I lost it. And I thought that was the best line that could come out to put her over as, not that she needs to get any more over as a heel, but to put her as this obnoxious stuck up heel. That's literally, that was the only words that had to leave his mouth for everyone to know that. Kayfabe's not dead, Jack. So they're keeping something. (laughs) Man, I personally, I love that promo. Um, I think it was perfect. And it just, it led into it so well for the match. And obviously she's going to come out on Dynamite this week and announce what the go is, because as he mentioned, she is a role model. So... (laughs) <laughs> next next match was uh yeah oh, I've got it written down. It was uh Dustin versus uh Sean Spears. Uh now I wasn't I wasn't there for that match. Unfortunately, I was uh had to leave. Um now tell us a little bit about this match and obviously the build up was pretty good with Sean Spears doing the whole Sean Spears news thing and calling out Dustin out of retirement. Cause obviously there's been a lot of talks about that as well. And leading into the match, it was, it was a bit of a squash, uh, but tell us a little bit about what happened in the match and your thoughts on it, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, firstly, it's, it's got to come down to that. Yes, it, it, it was a squash. Um, the build was unique in a way. Personally, I feel Sean Spears with their booking, they're missing something. They built him up as such a great heel to all out when he had that do or die match with Cody. Now, don't get me wrong, that match did deliver and I loved the, um, the inclusion of Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson in that. But unfortunately, you really have to look what has he done since that's going to convince us of is he going to be one of those big-time players? Now, credit to, to, to Sean Spears. I mean, I did like his Ty Dillinger uh, gimmick back in WWE. Perhaps it wasn't missing something because he got that over completely. Just with the Sean Spears, I, I just don't know. It just feels like it, they're missing that connection. What, what is it else they need to do? So credit to Sean. You know, he went back to the drawing board. He may have studied the Randy injury update news that they did back in uh, 2002, 2003. And I thought that gimmick actually worked extremely well. And even just seeing the um, the news go across like as if it was CNN about 
the retirement with Dustin and things like that. I thought that was a very, uh, very good touch. Man, they build it so well though, because like how they said, um, Spears, Spears said that, um, well, I've just got to think that, you know, you couldn't stay away from pills 13 years ago though, could you Dustin? And I thought, oh, that's all you need for a good, good match. So, um, so Spears comes out in a suit, you know, all flash, not looking like he's ready to compete. I'm trying to think who it reminded me of. Probably, uh, probably MVP with the uh, retirement, non-retirement shit that's going on at the moment. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, he came out. He did his uh, did his usual promo, and he told uh, referee Aubrey Edwards to count to ten. It's not going to happen. Oh, and he also um, he played the music as uh, as if he was going to appear. And he did the biggest troll face and he looked at the camera and said, I got you buggers, honestly. So I thought that was brilliant. That reminded me of HBK back in Montreal when he played Bret Hart's music and the absolute troll face he gave. So credit to him on that front. Um, as for the match itself, yes, granted, it was a squash. Nice to see Dustin back into the mix. I think what they're doing with AEW with him has been brilliant. I would 100% agree that he is in the best shape of his career. The, the um, what Dustin brings, like helping the young kids get over and um, everything else. I think that's great. But yes, look, sadly, it was a squash. Where are we going to go with Sean Spears? Um, even just seeing the, uh, the Tully Blanchard on uh, the old underwear for, for him, I, I thought, man, they really are a little clueless. I don't really know what to do with, with him, do they? So I really do want to see Sean Spears come back a lot harder than this. Um, Dustin, yes, granted he needed the win because he got his um, his payback on the on the promo. Um, but that being said, I mean you got to remember Dustin was in a pool of blood from um, from Lance Archer, and you know people might have been saying you know his career is uh, one and done. But even still, I want to see Sean Spears come back. I want to see him get into that extra gear. We are missing something, and I know AEW will find it. So. This match does hurt him, unfortunately. But AEW do have smart booking decisions, so maybe they've got something in the works. I'll leave that one up to you. Yeah, look, I do, I do have to agree with what you've said on Sean Spears. Like, back in the day, in, in the WWE days, he had such a connection with the fans and he had them wrapped around his finger. And yes, it may have been the, the perfect 10 gimmick and it might not have seemed over in some people's eyes, the connection. Like I know I was an absolute mark for that. Yes. For that were. gimmick. Like I had, I literally, I remember when NXT did their live tour of Australia and I had uh, a sign. It was in the front row and yes, I am on the WWE network. If you want to go check that out, go check me out front row right there with all my signs. <laughs> but it's it's those gimmicks that really get the superstars over if they portray it right. And I feel like moving into AEW, he had such potential to come in as this this great heel. And he had that build up with Cody coming in. And ever since that match, like he was the chairman of AEW. He was built up as this absolute monster. And ever right. since that match it's just gone downhill Definitely. and we've, yeah. we've, we've barely seen anything of him. And if we have seen stuff on it of him, it's been on AEW dark or in squash matches. And I feel like AEW kind of really need to pull their finger out quick in regards to Sean Spears. 
Otherwise, it's going to go downhill fast and they're not going to be able to recover with it. Was he in a program with Joey Janela? I, I, think, I think he might have been um, for maybe a couple of weeks because I remember, I think it might have been Joey who kidnapped him, uh, kidnapped uh, Tully Blanchard and then nothing See, came of it. This is, this is where I just sadly have to say that I can't even remember that. And that to me speaks volumes of the character because if I can't remember a, a storyline that someone's in or like it's, it's, it says in that name, it's forgettable. Like Definitely. you don't, yeah. you don't think about it. You never remember it. Whereas like, I remember the build up with Cody because that was such an epic build up. You didn't have Amazing. too much focus on the managers. You had all the focus on the world between the two of them and the hatred and all that sort of stuff. But as I say, after that, it's just, it's literally unfortunately gone downhill for Sean Spears. And I really hope it turns around really quickly for him because he's such a talent and he can be built as a monster heel in the, in the division An arrogant, cocky, obnoxious heel. And I think he could play it so well. Where are they going wrong with him though? I just, I just don't understand like where they think that they are missing it because even with the chair shot back at fighter fest, um, Jack, like that wasn't even meant to concuss um, Cody and you could see the dent in the chair, bring in the chairman gimmick. My God, that is brilliant booking and how they built that too all out. And even when he came out with his entrance, he brought the freaking chair with him and, you know, it just felt really good. And when he took off his hood as if he was um, AJ Styles, you could see he had his contacts in as well. And I thought that's a, that's a different touch as well because you have to think who's the other wrestler that wears contacts when they wrestle? That would be Kane. So, you know, little things like that do matter. But I was gutted he didn't win it all out. And just with these little things with um, like a pay-per-view match of double or nothing with Dustin, they could have at least got at least 15 minutes into it. Make it a good match. So I really want to see Sean fight back because this is really frustrating to see. He is an amazing talent. He has really transformed himself out of the Ty Dillinger into his true self. So they have got to fix it. I am extremely worried to tell you the truth. To, to me, I feel like they've, they've built him up as almost Tully Blanchard's lover boy in a way. And I feel like they really secured that this week with having an image of Tully on his crotch. And I don't think that that was a very wise move to do so because it just makes it look like it's now it's gone from having Tully Blanchard come in as this, uh, this heels manager and up against Arn. And obviously they have such a storied history and it built them up so well. It's gone from being that to being this comedy gimmick that just will never work. will never get over. And as I say, they just, they, we could go on about this for hours, but they, they really need to just pull their finger out and, and do something with Sean. So hopefully Sean Spears gets a good push in the future and, and gets this character really up and running because I really want to see him as a main event player. So Enough on that match because, as I said, we could go on for hours about that. We now we move. Yeah, we won't. We won't. Um, we now move into the championship matches. Uh, we've got up first. Got Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida. Now, I was, I was quite excited for this match. Um, I think the build-up to this has been 
incredibly good because of how long it's gone for. Like you've had Hikaru Shida sitting at the top ranked women's competitor, number one contender, basically for 13 weeks, I think it was, which is a long time in the, in the wrestling biz. Uh, and to have that build up between her and obviously she's kind of cl- still clawing her way to the top because a lot of people have got in before her, like Nyla got in before her, even sitting at the number one contender spot because Nyla obviously beat Riho, uh, where I feel like it should have been Hikaru Shida versus Riho. Um, and yeah, I think it was, personally, I think it was a bit of a silly idea to put the belt on Nyla so early, especially after she came back from a suspension. Like she got suspended towards the end of 2019 and basically her first match back was a championship match. And I don't think that was the one that she won. Um, I think it was a couple of matches down the line that she won that. Cause I think that was a fatal four way match was the one where she first came back in, but to be thrust back into that spotlight after a suspension didn't make much sense for me. And I think that Sheeta should have had the belt put on her a lot sooner than now, but end of story, Sheeta won the match. Uh, it was a no DQ Weirdly, it wasn't falls count anywhere, which I didn't really understand if they build up a no DQ, big, massive match, and they still had to get back into the ring. Didn't make much sense to me. Um, that was hard to keep up. <laughs> yeah, and there was, there was obviously, there was so much action going on outside the ring. Like you had the spot where Sheeta ran down and pretty much kneed Nyla in the face, back onto one of the big poker chips. Uh, you had you had Nyla put uh, Hikaru Shida through a table. Um, you had so many spots that could have quite easily ended it outside of the ring, but obviously the match still had to continue until they got back into the ring and sorted it out. And there was there was a spot um, in the in the match that I really really enjoyed, and especially for such, I don't want to say this in the wrong way because I know it's a heavily debated subject in the the wrestling world for such a larger athlete as Nyla is for Hikaru Shida to basically pick her up and suplex powerbomb almost from the top rope um, was an epic spot. I, I, I popped pretty hard for that and you saw my reaction at the time. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I popped pretty hard for that one. Um, And to have the match end, with with the the multiple knee strikes and the use of the kendo stick, which Nyla obviously stole a week prior, uh, which I thought was kind of a nice touch, and she came out with with the with the stick to start the match off. Um, I thought that was pretty cool, and I think it was a great match. It probably could have done with. I don't know, a little bit more offense within the ring. I know that it was an ODQ match and it was built up to be this, this uh, balls to the wall kind of weapons, guns blazing match. Uh, but to have a little bit more offense in the ring might've been a little bit nicer. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm happy that Sheeta came out on top and especially given the, the timing as well that she won the belt with uh, Hannah Kimura passing away like a couple of days prior to the event and they were actually quite good friends. So to have that kind of 
moment for her would have been pretty special. And I think, think that AEW did the right thing by putting the belt on her. And I can't say, wait to see where her reign goes. Like, what were your thoughts on the match? <clears throat> well, it was, um, it was definitely a good build. I have to fully agree. Um, Nyla coming back into the picture with suspension. Now, you did mention that. Um, now, they build it as she was suspended for uh, excessive use of the table because she actually uh, powerbombed uh, Rick Knox through the table, which, of course, you don't normally see a referee get uh, powerbombed through a table. Um, now, it's interesting that you touched on, like, was it too soon to bring her back into the title spotlight? Perhaps it was because you have to think, well, she's gone against the rules here, um, uh, like, on, on the authority. She was suspended. We're going to put her back into the title fi- uh, picture? Okay. So I wasn't too sold on that one. However, I am, I am still very impressed with what I do see from Nyla in and out of the ring. Her promos are very on game. I love how she just like says like with the most gut-wrenching voice, I break bitches and I, and I love that. So I, I think that's a very, um, very good adding to the character. But um, with all that being said, getting to the match... Yes, Shida winning. That is definitely the right call. Um, I was very surprised to see that. I, I really did react and thought, oh, shit, she actually won. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> but um, all that aside, yes, the, the match um, worked very well. I liked um, most of the out-of-ring action that they did try to incorporate into it. Um, Shida having the belt on her is is brilliant. I think it's a great tribute to... Um, the wrestler that you said passed away. I can't actually pronounce her name, but may she, uh, may she rest in peace. No, look, the, mat- the match was good. Um, I've been impressed, like what I said, with what, what I've seen from Nyla um, and that she didn't win with her signature with the table. That is smart booking because she has done so much with the tables lately, um, like just powerbombing everybody through and far. She had the signature singing poor Kane, which she took away from Sheeta a week prior. And yet she put in her entire arsenal into this table. She powerbombed her through and it didn't fucking do anything. So there you go. So I, I think that's brilliant. That just shows the character just thick, thick and far that, um, that Sheeta is the underdog. Give me Sheeta versus Riho. That would be a tremendous match. So yeah, that is my thoughts. They nailed it. Yeah, I think they did pretty good. Absolutely. Like, I'd love to see uh, Riho versus Sheeta. I think that'll be an epic match. And whenever Riho comes back into the picture, uh, I'll be very happy to see that because she has immense talent in herself. And all of these Japanese wrestlers coming in are just their next level because, because of the way they're brought up and the way of their training. And I really enjoy that. And as you say, I really enjoyed this match and it was Quite a great nod to uh, Hanakamura and and a lot of respect to her in which they did do a little bit of a tribute as well uh, where they where they popped her little graphic up on the screen and I think it's yeah. it's a valid point to make especially at this time is to just be nice and exactly what Excalibur said because you never know what someone else is going through and to to still have all this cyber bullying stuff around just does not make any sense to me and i was quite upset today to find out that there was another incident of cyber bullying in regards to wrestling on twitter overnight and that was wonder was it 
No, 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 no. So this was completely different and I won't get too much into it because it's, it's quite fresh. It's, it's a little bit stupid in my opinion. Um, but just the fact that people aren't learning to just be nice, respect people's views. It doesn't matter if we're, we're wrestling fans, like you, you all love what you love. And, and at the end of the day, nobody should be judged for what they love. And it's as simple as just being nice to people. And it's really not that hard guys. So there's my little rant. Um, let's, let's move on to the next match before I get too more in depth on that. Um, Moxley versus Lee, a big build up for this match. Uh, was it the exalted one, Mr. Brody Lee. Now the promos from Brody Lee over the last couple of weeks, since he's been introduced as the exalted one to the dark order have been, absolutely gold now as as luke harper in the wwe vince mcmahon would not let the man talk and he would not let him talk without having a southern accent we found out via uh, talk is jericho and i never can understand that and never will given the fact that i have now heard him talk so exquisitely and his promos are ridiculously good and the way that he can deliver it and his tone and everything. And the fact that there are a couple in there that were taking the piss out of McMahon as well. I really liked that touch, uh, especially the ones where he was sitting down to eat and obviously nobody could eat before he'd finished his meal. And Vince McMahon hates, hates sneezing and someone sneezed and he pretty much lost his shit. Um, but the build up to this match between Moxley and Lee in regards to promos was so good because like you have Brody Lee, sorry, Mr. Brody Lee who comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I better get that right. Otherwise I'll get called out. Um, To have him come out with his, his disciples, if you will, of the dark order and, and beat up Moxley and all this sort of stuff leading to him stealing the belt off Mox. I thought, that was a nice touch. Uh, it obviously made it a little bit more personal for Mox, uh, having his property stolen. He started to get a lot more pissed. He just wanted his belt back. Um, and to have, to have Brody come out uh, in his entrance for Double or Nothing with the belt on was also a slap in the face, I felt, to Moxley, because he comes out as the self-proclaimed AEW world champion. And I feel like that just added an extra little personal touch and also a thing to note out was that there was security in the ring prior to the match starting i I did not understand that and i still still probably don't think it was 100 percent needed um obviously there was a lot of animosity and tension in the ring but i don't think that they needed six security guards standing in the ring to protect them from each other when they were just literally going to beat the living shit out of each other within 10 seconds of them getting out of the ring anyway. Um, but as you pointed out yesterday, maybe that was just Tony Khan saying, I want to get these introductions done and I want these to be proper before anything can happen. Um, so it could have very well, yeah, yeah, it could have very well been that. Um, but getting into the match itself, it was a hard hitting affair. It was straight to the point straight away within the first 10 seconds, Moxley jumped, Jumped at Lee and it started a slobber knocker of a fest. And 
there was one particular spot in the match that I didn't see coming and both yourself and I thought it was legitimate. Um, and this is, I just have to say that this is a nice refreshing thing about AEW over WWE is that there's spots where we are genuinely shocked and whether or not we think they're real, like if they're scripted, if they're part of this or if they're not. And this one was obviously them going through the entrance stage floor and Moxley hit uh, Lee with a paradigm shift onto the, the entrance ramp and they just went straight through it. And both of them were down about four referees. Uh, Jerry Lynn came out from the back, the coaches that really sold it for me. And I think that was a really nice touch in the, in the way of selling this as a serious, serious like mishap almost um, having so many people come out and be genuinely concerned. And then all you see is Moxley, Moxley comes back up and then, then Lee comes up and he's cut open. He's, he's bleeding everywhere. And then they kind of get back into the ring. There's a little bit of a tiff. And what I had to notice is that not many finishes were used during this match. And it wasn't ended on a finisher either because it ended with uh, Moxley choking out uh, Brody Lee, which myself and you both thought was a very smart move because it builds up. It still doesn't take anything away from Brody Lee as a character and as a, a monster monster heel because he didn't tap out. He didn't get pinned. He literally passed out. He, he went to the point where he could no longer go and it was stopped by referee stoppage and Mox retained the championship. And I really, really liked that because it's technically now Brody Lee can come in and cut as many promos as you want. Okay, Mox, you didn't beat me. You've never pinned me. You've never submitted me, whatever. It was literally a referee stoppage because he raised the hand multiple times and he didn't respond. So I think this builds this feud and I don't think it's ended I don't think it's anywhere near being finished and I really like that and I think it should keep going on. So what were your thoughts on the match and do you kind of express the same view as me? And like, it was just, to me, it was such a good match and such a build and such an end. Yes. Gr brilliant. I think it was a very good match. Very, um, very well hard fought. Um, the build was good. And like I said, this is what AEW do so well. They can build the story. So so believable like i really didn't think firstly that Brody lee would be the exalted one obviously the internet community thought it'd be matt hardy and i was obviously the same um but that but that being said um yeah look he has done so well with this mr Brady lee gimmick i love that he is now the leader of of the dark order um it has been a very very controversial uh gimmick when it was obviously introduced but somehow I feel that they have made it work and this loss will not affect the Dark Order and their mission to, uh, to take over AEW. Um, Brody Lee's promos, yes, they've been absolutely spot on. I love the little quips to Vince about the sneezing and even just the eating and things like that. Um, taking the title, yes, granted, I think that was a very uh, smart move as well. Gives it a little bit of an extra edge. We all know Moxley is a crazy son of a bitch, so we know he's not going to take that one lightly. Um, 
you touched on the security. Yes, my goodness, what was going on there in the middle of the ring? The first thing I thought of was the segment before WrestleMania with Batista and The Undertaker. If uh, Back in uh, 2007, if someone can correct me, I'm pretty sure that was on the go-home SmackDown. They had the massive line of the security and obviously all hell broke loose. But interesting how they put that into the actual match itself. So that's an interesting... Um, debate there i'd like to hear everyone's thoughts um getting back to the match i was actually just uh, checking uh mr Brody lee's twitter just now and um his first comment on it is respect to john moxley that is all i have to say at this time now you have to look back he didn't get pinned he didn't submit he got choked out by which some would call i'm pretty sure the taz mission obviously we don't know moxley is going to be with taz and all that I'm just simply refer referencing a move that I am a big fan of. <laughs> but uh, yes, anyway, yes, it was a very hard, well-hitting match. Um, they built it well, some good spots. Um, and Brody was innovative as well. And Moxley had to be too. There wasn't finishes where you thought this is what's going to end it. It was different booking. There wasn't that one move that thought this is, this is going to be the one. They didn't need the paradigm shift in the middle of the ring for the two count. Um, but as you said, uh, the paradigm shift through the stage, obviously I didn't know if that was meant to happen. It clearly was because you saw the trainers coming out and it helps build the story, little things like that. You see Mox come out with the blood and uh, I think uh, Brody was the same as well. Um, those little kickouts I loved at the end, that was brilliant. You know, you can't keep me down. I'm still here, still here. Moxley decided to choke him out and that was that so going forward yes I would love to see Brody Lee still in the picture I think the promo game is definitely going to step up a lot higher um obviously we didn't see the old handshake and raise the hand to the crowd at the end of it this match didn't need that this isn't WWE style this was just a well-fought hard-hitting match it um it some ways reminded me of Moxley versus Suzuki back um, in New Japan earlier in the year and um, how it was just, it was just focusing just solely on the brawl itself. So yeah, credit to, to AEW on that one. Um, Moxley retaining. Yep. I'm all for that. And I love him as a world champion. He has branched out so well in AEW and even just uh, doing his cameos in New Japan as well. Um, Brody, look, this loss isn't going to hurt him. The finish protected him. He didn't um, submit. He didn't get pinned. He will come back a lot more harder and probably a lot more focused. So I said triple threat, make it a fatal four-way. Let, let, let's see Brody versus Cage versus Moxley versus <laughs> everybody else. Oh, I can't even remember the names. I just I love talking about AEW so much. I'm such Let's a just have the whole AEW roster just literally fighting for the world championship. Why don't we? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> Revert um, battle royal. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. <laughs> never. That was, never. That was, that was roll. <laughs> All right, let's let let's talk about this last match now. Now this was obviously the co-main event, uh, the Stadium Stampede. Now during this COVID nineteen time. It's really brought back into light, if there ever really was any light on it, I guess. Cinematic matches, and it's a, it's a heavily debated topic in the wrestling community. Like, it seems to me that you're either on one side or the other when it comes to cinematic matches. Like, you either love them or you hate them. And 
Personally, I'm on the side of the fact that I love them. Um, it brings something new to the table. It brings that entertainment factor in quite de- deeply, I guess you could say, um, rather than just the wrestling. And not saying that I don't love a good match. Like, I don't think that every match on the card needs to be... Like, say say that we're talking about this card. It doesn't need to be MJF versus Jungle Boy wrestling style every match. Uh, there needs to be some storytelling in matches. And I think that the cinematic matches are doing a really good job at that. Like, you, you look back at uh, the Boneyard match between Undertaker and AJ. I think that was amazing. I, as I said to you yesterday, I think that if anything uh, that, if the Undertaker wasn't to step foot back in a ring again, I would not care because he went out on top, in my opinion, in such a good match that he probably would have loved. And I'm sure we'll see that on the, the documentary. Um, but matches like this just reinvigorate so much into the wrestling. And I popped so hard, and you know this, when they had the football-style entrances at the start. Oh, uh, what a it's just it was that little touch that made the match so good at the start that i was just so enthralled with it from the first 10 seconds of the match like you got the smoke you got the flames and all of a sudden you got the cheerleaders down the side you've got you've got the the inner circle literally were dressed up in football gear like head to toe uh, you got your helmets, you got your your elbow pads, you've got your knee pads, you got everything. They they were dressed up to the nines, and I I'm a massive inner circle mark. You know that um, we were pretty much against each other yesterday to quite an extent on this one because you love the elite um, and I love the inner circle, uh, and then you've got the elite that comes out and. Hangman Page isn't there. And it really made me skeptical for a minute. I thought that, okay, they've been teasing that that there's been a rift in the elite for, for quite a while now. And I thought, ooh, Hangman Page isn't coming out. What's going to happen here? Has he not shown up? Is he saying F you to the elite? Or is he joining the inner circle? Really, what's going on? And we get to the start of the match... Aubrey Edwards blows the whistle, which I thought was a great touch instead of the bell. It just made it so much better. They run down at each other and it's literally on. It's a brawl. Um, That was literally the start of it. And then they branch off into their different bits and all of a sudden we get this cinematic pan down to one end of the goals. And there's Hangman Adam Page on a goddamn horse like I'm talking, it's a real goddamn horse. And he, yep. Sammy Guevara turns around, looks at it, basically shits bricks for a better term of the word and runs down the other end of the field. And then there's just this mad dash between Hangman Page and Sammy Guevara. And it ends up with Hangman Page being out the back, looking for Guevara, like, on his horse, just randomly going around the arena whilst everything's going on in the arena. And not to mention that Sammy had made his way back to the, back to the actual ring by this stage. It just, man paid the honorary man from snowy river, just on that horse. <laughs> man, Brilliant. literally 
Like it was such a good touch. And obviously with the build up earlier this week and prior weeks with, with Sammy Guevara just being hit by stuff, it just it made his reaction so much better to, to the entire thing. And look, we had a little bit of in-ring action. Um, I think everyone got back in the ring. Sammy tried to hit a shooting star press, failed. But I, I'm 99% sure that was the end of what actually happened in the ring. And then we moved outside of the ring and you've got spots where I think Nick Jackson climbed up on top of the goalposts uh, with like a 12 foot ladder and did a backflip onto, uh, I think it was Jericho and Nick. Uh, no, I just said Nick, uh, Matt. And he backflipped off, off the top of the goalpost onto these guys. Like that's a huge drop. That's, that's a 12 foot drop. And this guy injured his ribs the week before that this happened. So that's, that takes some guts. And, and then we go to the back and we see that hangman page is at the bar and typical hangman page, let's say, and we're not surprised of where he is. And there's just, I'm, I'm so enthralled in this match because I'm speaking with so much passion because of how good the match was. And another spot that really stood out to me in this match, and you know that I popped so hard for this, was the Matt Hardy Lake of Reincarnation. I, I literally turned to you and I said, there's a pool. This, is, this has got to be a Lake of Reincarnation like spoof. And, yep. and, and let alone... No, no, no you said no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was, you were convinced that that was not going to happen. And next thing, proud and powerful push, push Matt Hardy in there. And then they start drowning him. And, and next minute they pull him up. Oh, there's Matt Hardy version one. And I'm like, yes, I popped so hard. And I was so excited. And then they go back down and they bring back uh, the, the Matt facts. And they had the Matt can hold his breath for 346 seconds. And he goes back down and then he turns into classic Matt. And then V1, Matt, again. And it just, the, the way that they did that was, was amazing, in my opinion, because it looked, it literally looked like there was not an, a, 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 an inch of movement between the scenes to make it look like a cut scene. Because obviously these guys would have had to do it in multiple scenes for that spot, but it panned together so well that it did not look anything out of the ordinary. And I loved, love, love that spot. And then when uh, Ortiz went to get in the pool and he's like, I can't swim, man. I can't, I can't swim. And it's like three foot of water. It just, yeah. the man is a comical genius. And I love, love, love proud and powerful as a team. And I guess we, the other thing that I really wanted to talk about were, were two more spots where, uh, Hangman Page comes out pretty much blind drunk, acting like he's drunk with the line marker and Chris Jericho is laying on the ground and he yeah. just rolls straight over the top of him with the line marker, sprays straight up his crotch, straight, straight over the top of his face. And I, I, it's just little comical things like that in a match that make it more entertaining. And, and then you get back to the action and, Next thing you know, you've got Sammy Guevara and Kenny Omega on the top of 
almost the top of Daly's place and the first tier at least, and they jump off on a one-winged one winged angel. And I literally thought Sammy was dead. Like, this man has endured so much pain in the, like, I don't know how he does it because the man is a top seller. He will do anything that is required of him to get over or to get someone else over. And he's so talented and it really goes to show that he does give a shit about the business because you can't tell me that someone would get hit by a golf cart and, and do all these crazy flips and stunts and all this sort of stuff if they did not care and they just wanted to get by like, and to have that ending, I think it was a perfect ending to the match. I was quite upset that the inner circle didn't win, uh, obviously, <laughs> but you were quite happy that the elite won. But yes, I know I I've did. rambled on about this match, but what were your highlights of, of this cinematic match? This is the thing about cinematic wrestling. I mean, yes, it is such a different dynamic. And that's what makes um, this time, what we're living in with COVID, so unique i mean we would have never ever ever imagined we would have something like this and i'm not just talking about the stadium stampede i am talking about the boneyard match i am talking about a freaking money in the bank match where you have to climb to the top of a corporate tower there is no way in hell vince mcmahon would ever think of doing that if there was no covid so you know slay on me if you want for that one uh internet folk but there is no way Anyway, getting back, Stadium Stampede. Now, I'm actually going to uh, back you a bit on this one here, Jack, because Inner Circle had a bit of a contest because was the bell rung? No, the whistle was blown. So there, there could be some, uh, some contest going on here. So, you know, um, yes, the bell was rang at the end, but, you know, Jericho might contest that as well. I just wanted to throw that one in there for um, all our listeners. Um, yeah, no, look, I thought it, I thought it was a fantastic uh, cinematic style of wrestling. Um, having Hangman come out on a horse is just absolutely gold. Just seeing him buckle down the, uh, the entire stadium and looking around for Sammy. And I quoted Man from Snow River. If anyone doesn't know that, I'm pretty sure it's a 1946 film. I could be very wrong. But uh, for earlier times, it... It was featured in the 2000 Olympics opening ceremony. So you can just have a look on that one. And then you see, oh, that's what he's talking about. Anyway, back, back to the match. Um, no, look, it, it, it was fantastic. Like, I, I love the little things like where they just tease with Hangman not showing up. And you could see Omega at the start saying, he'll be here. He'll be here. And I wasn't actually convinced. I thought, no, nah, Hangman's really gone. But then when we saw the horse, we're like, oh, shit. No, it's really happening. Um, the little action inside the ring that that was unique for me because that's probably maybe all they needed to have in the wrestling ring per se you know they've still got the ring in the middle they've still got a bit of in-ring action they can still get a couple of spots in yes inner circle came out with you know football gear and all that possibly a uh, a shot at the uh, xfl because you think about it you know with them going bankrupt and uh you're in an empty stadium and jericho's team comes out in football gear so you know just uh just little things you notice as a wrestling fan. Um, and then, um, obviously, as you move on to all the spots, the Matt Hardy one. Now, look, yes, that was brilliant. I really did love the throwback, but this is something I really do need to touch on. Um, 
Now, yes, look, as much as we did love um, what we saw with uh, Matt turning into V1 and all this, look, sadly, we we did see a very tragic event with Shad Gaspard uh, last week with his passing. Now, we are all aware that it was due to him drowning. Um, now, this has actually upset a fair bit of uh, the internet community um, that they would even mention having this, this this person drowning and how even at the end with Ortiz, ad-libbed or not, would say he's dead. Now, look, when I did see that, look, tasteless, yes. Maybe they went a little bit too far. Maybe they could have innovated that one a little bit. Don't get me wrong. It is very compelling, brilliant viewing. I think AEW did that very well, but they really could have gone without that little spot because that is a very sensitive topic. It has been an incredible week for, for wrestling fans. We had the loss of Larry Kasonka from 411 Mania. May he rest in peace. Absolutely loved reading his reviews. Um, we had our Kimura's passing away as well and, and Shad. That is just a bit too far for me. What, um, as Before I go into the review of the match, what are your thoughts on that one, Jack? Would you, would you agree? Honestly, man, I didn't even put the two together uh, until you literally just said it. And I did not even think about that in the slightest because honestly, obviously I had uh, separated the difference between real life and, and wrestling. And we all know that wrestling's scripted. You got all this, all this stuff, but I, I hadn't thought of putting the two together until you just said it. And the more I think about, yes, that probably, I, I think that they should, still could have should have kept the segment, but not to maybe now not to the extent of having Hardy look like he had drowned at the end. Like still yeah. have the bit where they dunk him under the water, but maybe not to the point of like they were drowning him. Like just dunk him, he comes back up and he's this version dunk him comes back up and oh he's back to normal like but now that you say it with having him look like he was dead at the end that it yeah it is a bit distasteful uh yeah so um so getting back to the match um obviously uh, we won't touch any further on that just may i say i loved watching uh shad in j in uh crime time jtg fantastic booking they really should have been tag team champions and may shad rest in peace he will be sorely missed by the wrestling community um but getting back to the match yes look there were so many great spots one of my favorites um just seeing hangman in the bar and he says to Hager, you know are you are you here to fight or are you here to drink and you know jake it just looked like he just was you know done he was just worn out like yeah i just want to have a drink and then hangman just suddenly turned to him and just all-out brawl. Thought that was brilliant. I have no idea how Omega and uh, and Hangman managed to crack four bottles over his head, maybe more. I don't know. And how if it was a no-sell or if it just didn't affect <laughs> either way. Um, one of my favourite moments of that bit was even just having uh, Omega with the piggyback and then um, the buckshot uh, lariat by uh, Hangman over the uh, the bar. You know, just, you know, you can stay down there. Omega's going to have some milk and uh, Hangman's going to have some whiskey. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, let's see. Gosh, what else? There was so much to cover in this match. You, um, you didn't mention one of your favourite bits, Jack. Um, Jericho challenging a call with... Uh, I knew I forgot with, it. I knew I forgot uh, it. 
what are your thoughts on that one before I go into my thoughts? Uh, I did, <laughs> I did rate that segment. I did like when Jericho challenged the play and then uh, Aubrey uh, kind of cracked the shits and, and just the ending of that segment was perfect with uh, Jericho just turning around and saying, you're a shitty referee. And I love that. And it, yeah, just, yeah. it worked so perfectly. So I knew that I forgot to touch on that. It's just the fact that there were so many massive spots in there. And another one that I did forget to touch on was also uh, Sammy and Matt uh, doing the, the um, uh, suplexes almost. Um, that's not the word for it. Suplexes. Uh, you know, the one where he flips him over and they did it the whole... Northern Light Suplex. Northern, Northern Light suplex. suplex. Yeah, that's the one. I knew it was on the tip of my oh, yeah. tongue and I couldn't get it out. But they did yeah. the Northern Lights from one end of the field to the other and then they had the oh. touchdown at the end. And that's... <laughs> it was gold. It was absolutely yeah. gold. And um, even, even just seeing um, Knox uh, give uh, a penalty to... <laughs> for uh, excessive celebrations then he just gets a super kick it's the little things in wrestling that we appreciate little things like that can make anyone stay so um yeah no look it was, it was great viewing um seeing um santana get thrown into the freezer um look i check twitter a lot i do apologize but it actually does help my stories I checked Twitter when, um, when uh, after the match and Santana put up a uh, photo which was used from one of my favourite movies, uh, Goodfellas, where the bloke was uh, frozen in the freezer and uh, the person was dead. So I thought, oh my goodness, you know, he's clearly, uh, he's clearly enjoyed this, this moment. And then he just retweeted all the other moments. So I thought, yep, yeah, he's fine. But um, look, that being said, there's so many amazing moments in this match that just makes cinematic wrestling so amazing and when we do go back to normal um post covid i want to see this stick around this is a fantastic addition to professional wrestling it doesn't need to be face versus heel it doesn't need to be in a square ring where you're doing a 30 20 minute match be unique be creative this is what AEW and we have done well and i will give credit to wwe they somehow pretty much started it off. You, you had the Boneyard and you had the Firefly Funhouse. Personally, I like the Boneyard one more, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, no, look, seeing the Elite win, that was, uh, that was good for me because I'm a fan of the Elite. Um, been a fan of Omega since uh, his New Japan Pro Wrestling days. I crave the day we see the cleaner back in, uh, in AEW when he's going to be the top heel. So one day, Jack, it will, it will happen. So, you know. Keep your uh, watch on those inner circle blokes over there. <laughs> but um, no, look, I'm rambling on. Um, yeah, no, look, it was it was a fantastic match. They, they did they did a lot of things right. They actually taped it 24 hours before it even booked. That is smart thinking because you're going from one corner of the stadium to the other. What else can you say? AEW nailed the stadium stampede. And Tony Khan actually at the end of pre scrum, he said that it will be sticking around and it will be a, a standalone match for AEW. So I'm delighted to hear that. Definitely. Perfect, man. Look, well, that's our review on Double or Nothing. I really enjoyed this. Um, I love the fact that we can we can have a chat and we've, we may have different views and we may like certain things, we may not like certain things, but I really enjoyed this chat and I hope you guys enjoyed this review. And... Hopefully we'll be able to do a couple of these in the future. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for joining me, man. Um, really appreciate no you coming on. 
And yeah, as I said, I look forward to the future ones. Too easy. Touch around, guys. There you go, guys. That is our thoughts on the Double or Nothing pay-per-view. And I I really enjoyed this pay-per-view. And I love what AEW is doing at the moment. And I think it's got the brightest future. It's a breath of fresh air as a wrestling fan. And I couldn't be more thankful that the company exists. So I'm really looking forward to the future. Hope you guys enjoyed this little sit-down review. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Chuck us a follow on Spotify. Don't forget to like uh, and follow us at Beyond the Buckle on Instagram and Beyond the Buckle on Facebook. And we will see you guys on the next episode.